For months, Jalen Carter has been widely viewed as a consensus top five pick heading into the 2023 draft. But with two misdemeanors charges against him on Wednesday, that might have changed for the Seahawks and the other teams at the top of the big board. We're going to be investigating that on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, and part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, for today's Wednesday episode. And a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. As we did last week, when we looked on the offensive side of the football, Rob and I are going to dish out our blueprint for Seattle's offseason plans on the defensive side of the football. We're going to look at some defensive thresholds for combine testing throughout the Pete Carroll and John Schneider era. And of course, some breaking news today coming from the combine with one of the consensus top five picks, a player that's been a favorite to be mocked to the Seahawks. That might have changed a little bit today. We'll get to that story coming up here shortly on a jam-packed episode of Locked On Seahawks. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. It was a bizarre few moments at the NFL scouting combine today. Defensive tackles among the position groups that were scheduled for the first set of interviews at the convention center today. And Jalen Carter, one of the top prospects in the entire class, was scheduled to talk at 10 o'clock and oddly enough, less than 15 minutes before he was scheduled to take the podium, news broke that Georgia had issued a pair of misdemeanor charges on an arrest warrant against Carter stemming from the accident that took the lives of a former teammate and a Georgia staffer after the national championship game in January. Rob, it was a stunning turn of events, and this is going to potentially have major ripple effects on the entire first round, especially the top 10 in the NFL draft, particularly for teams like the Seahawks that are looking for help along the defensive line. Carter has been viewed as the number one defensive tackle prospect in this class, potentially the number one pick overall. And obviously this legal situation now throws a major wrench in those plans and maybe potentially pushes him way down the draft board. It certainly could push him down to number five overall, and that, that creates a whole different conversation than the Seahawks are, uh, or at least those of us in the media and the general public knew. I think the NFL teams, the, the fact that uh, ESPN's Todd McShay uh, you know, kind of said something offhand about possible character concerns about Jalen Carter months ago. You know, a lot of people kind of scoffed at that and thought it was irresponsible. I think this is, must be something that uh, that McShay may have had some inside or some knowledge of this. Um, as I suspect that there's going to be some some scouts out there who who knew this. And so I don't know that it's going to have the earth shattering effect on NFL teams that it has on the rest of us, but it is obviously a huge, huge story, something that the NFL teams are going to have to determine if they're going to be taking Jalen Carter off their board entirely. Um, if this is something that, um, as you said, these are misdemeanors, a man, this is a young man who's innocent until proven guilty. Um, the obvious 
the the obvious victims in this case um, were the deceased. Um, you know, but the the timing, as you said, it was kind of odd timing right before he is going to go out there and you know be introduced to all the NFL media. Uh, you know, it, it it's it just is odd. I think that every NFL team out there obviously has to do their due diligence and see what's going to happen here. But I, I am just hoping for the young man, as he said on his own account, um, that he expects to be completely exonerated from these charges. And so that is what I'm hoping for moving forward, because I see a incredibly talented football player. And more importantly, I see a young man whose life is literally hanging in the balance here. Um, and, and so I, I just fascinated to see what's going to happen. And my thoughts are with all of those who are involved in this situation yeah that's the first thing that we have to make sure that we hammer home here that the most important part of this story is still the two people that lost their lives here Human beings. and this is not a murder charge i don't want people thinking that this is something of that magnitude it's not like the police department came out and said that he was directly involved in the death of these two people but what we need to also understand is if he was racing and going over a hundred mile an hour with his Jeep, uh, you know what? He, he's a culprit as far as egging on the other people and putting them in a position where they were able to get into this crash. And so that's why you have these misdemeanors. This is still a very serious situation, especially for NFL teams when they're looking at character concerns. And we can talk about all the teams at the top. And eventually this is going to be something that's going to be discussed, assuming that the information that came out today ends up being accurate or the charges stick. Like you said, there was a statement released by Carter himself today saying that he expects to be fully exonerated and that the information that's being reported is not accurate. If that is the case, then obviously people will owe him an apology. But they do have video footage of him, his Jeep, speeding that night. So he made up some stories that weren't necessarily accurate initially in his police, uh, going to the police two hours after he fled initially, which was bad by itself and came back two hours later. That's at least what the report indicates and initially said he heard it from his apartment and then eventually said, no, wait, I was driving behind him or alongside him. And so the whole situation is not necessarily a positive one, but from a football standpoint, as I mentioned earlier, this is clearly a player that would be a plug and play immediately starter for the Seattle Seahawks if he was available at number five. And you and I have talked about that being a dream scenario for the Seahawks if he is there at number five. But in my personal opinion now, if this ends up sticking, if this is really what happened and these charges are continued on into court proceedings, I could see the Seahawks completely taking Carter off of their big board. And I'm going to say one reason why Malik McDowell. The Seahawks, ever since what happened with the former Michigan State defensive tackle back in 2017, didn't play it down for him. Ever since that ATV accident, you look at the players that they drafted last year across the board. We're looking at high character players. They have been avoiding players like Carter ever since that McDowell situation. I know in the past they've taken risks on players that have gotten in trouble with the law and they've given players second chances, but it just seems like the McDowell situation completely changed how they handled their draft boards. And so I actually would be somewhat surprised if the Seahawks still had him on their big board with what transpired today if that is indeed what happened. I don't know that I would be surprised that that, that if they had Jalen Carter still on their board, uh, even if he is guilty of all these charges, I think that they would want to have the conversation with him. 
Um, I think because the talent is that immense um, and because I think that they very much believe in their defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt. That was one of the reasons that Seattle had the willingness to to go with a player like Malik McDowell is because they really believed in Clint Hurt as a motivator, um, as somebody who is able to reach young men. That's really one of his strengths. Everybody uh, that he has worked with kind of just raves about his ability to kind of just reach young men. And that's obviously one of the things that Pete Carroll course is known for as well i think they're one of the few teams corbin that would consider a player like that but obviously when when you have suffered the loss that the seahawks lost in, in malik mcdowell is for as far as just the the investment that the franchise put in him um and and all in the just the the way that that uh that you know his his case obviously turned out um, at least during his time in Seattle, then that does cast a, a big pall over the, the franchise. And so I don't think that Seattle, that's something that Seattle wants to do anytime soon. But again, I do think that there would be one of the few teams that is willing to possibly talk to him and, 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 and get kind of a feel for his side of the story, of course. Um, the other thing too is, again, is, and you just kind of mentioned this a moment ago, but it's just what a terrific fit that he would be in Seattle's team. Um, and so again, what I'm going to keep coming back to is just the you know being positive that, that hopefully Jalen Carter is you know still going to be an NFL prospect, um, you know in, in the 2023 draft. Um, the other thing that I really want to make sure that I mention about this whole situation is, is just that what a, a again what a difficult position to be, be put into in, in this particular moment. But I will say this: I think that. While the timing of the report is a little odd, the the details of the report suggest that it that he may be guilty and that there is a great deal of evidence pointing to that case. And so that's why teams are going to have to do their due diligence. There's absolutely a possibility, as you suggested, that, that the Seahawks and many other teams, perhaps all of the other teams, are going to completely remove him from the board and that Jalen Carter may be unfortunately in jail at some point i mean that these are very serious charges and so it's we're we're just reacting to it in today's world where things happen you know as you said it was 15 minutes before yeah. the uh you know before he was supposed to be on the podium in the biggest opportunity of his life and instead that it all gets changed just like that and i i've been there in the combine and had moments where we've seen players get kind of pulled because of character concerns medical concerns you know it, it was kind of Gil Brandt would, would, would walk up there and have, and, and just say, you know, guys, we're not going to speak for or hear from, you know, so-and-so player before. I mean, because, you know, there, there's been some news that's changed or whatever the case might be. And so I suspect that that was just absolutely surreal. And uh, I, again, like anybody else, I'm basically just waiting um, to see exactly what's going to happen. Mr. Jalen Carter, who again, the Seahawks would love to love him if in fact he is somebody that deserves to be loved yeah this is truly a developing story and there's a lot of things that we're waiting to hear about especially with him going back to athens and so as more information becomes available we'll obviously revisit this but for right now with what we know there's a chance that there could be a major ripple effect and maybe you have more quarterbacks go early will anderson's chances of falling to number five now seem very slim if they already weren't slim and so it may have a direct impact on the seahawks and where they're at number five what they might be able to fetch trading down as well if teams aren't going to be wanting to move up for a quarterback or for jalen carter i mean there's a lot of ripple effects a domino there when you have a player of that magnitude that ends up getting in trouble and sees his draft stock slip as a result coming up next 
We started our off-season blueprint last week on the offensive side of the football. Rob and I will be dishing out our defensive blueprints, looking at free agents to keep, free agents to let walk, draft crushes, and much more. We'll be getting that here in a moment on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player performance doubles. For example, you can bet on Klay Thompson to get five rebounds and the Warriors to win a game at plus 220. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Idaho, you're listening in Illinois, or Texas. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Let's get to our off-season blueprint. We actually kicked this off last Wednesday on the offensive side of the football. A little bit of discussion, a little bit of debate about which players they should keep in free agency, which players they should let walk, and of course, our draft and free agent crushes. We're going to do the same thing on the defensive side of the football. And Rob, as always, I'm going to give you the mic first. Let's talk free agency on the defensive side of the football and we were talking about this before the show. There's a couple decent-sized names, but not a lot of star power on that side of the ball and a lot of what you kindly termed as Jags, just a guy. So <laughs> which one of those guys potentially could be back in 2023 for the Seahawks? Not very many of them, Corp, and that's the thing. is I think that the, the Seahawks have a lot of, of solid players, um, guys that are, are, are capable of, of filling out an NFL roster. I don't think that they have enough difference makers on the defensive side the ball i think that was fairly obvious when we saw that this past season so you have an opportunity to get rid of some of those players or perhaps upgrade some of those players through free agency and by this draft of course that uh you know Pete Carroll and john schneider at the combine right now as are you you know evaluating all these players so to me, the, the highest priority would be Cody Barton, not only because of the improvement that I saw from Barton, obviously the need for the Seahawks at the linebacker position with Jordan Brooks as well, but just because I think he's a good player and he's a, a homegrown guy that you've developed and he feels like he's an ascending player. You want to reward those types of guys. He would be my top priority, but... I also think there's going to be other NFL teams out there who are going to be really interested in him. And so if he gets some kind of really big offer out there, then I don't think it's something that you have to worry about so much because I really like the, the, the talent that's out there in terms of veteran linebackers that are available in free agency other than Cody Barton. Um, and so we'll be talking about that here in, in a moment as well. To me, the only other one would be Ryan Neal. And, you know, you've just already invested so much money into – Jamal Adams and, uh, you know, of course, Quandre Diggs as well. I, I don't see how you possibly can justify spending that kind of money on a third safety unless you're going to do something with the money for the uh, one of the other two. So that's a whole other conversation there. So, But until something like that happens, again, Ryan Neal, I'd I love to have you back. I think you're one of the glue guys on the team. 
I, I also wonder if Seattle can – to me, he feels almost like a luxury to bring back unless you're able to get him at a pretty bargain basement price. And I think that Ryan Neal's outplayed that. He certainly proved me wrong. Um, and, and so, I again, I'd love to bring him back. Uh, I just don't know that you're going to be able to. And, and the rest of the players, I don't know if I would have necessarily have said, you know, just a guy. But I, I see uh, Tanner Muse as far as being a – you know, a, a player who has speed, but I don't necessarily like the physicality and the consistency as far as a tackler in the hole. I think too many times he tackles guys and falls backward, giving up an extra yard, extra yard, extra yard every time. I, I want more than that in, in this scheme. I think the same thing with like the Josh Jones of the world, the Jonathan Abrams of the world. Uh, you know, th there's some good safety play there, but not necessarily something uh, that I think is so much better than some of the young talent that you might be able to get in this draft class. Maybe after the draft, if they're still available, sure, fill out the back of your roster. But I just don't see those players as the future starters that you want to re-sign um, to, to big-time kind of deals. I mean, again, if they're at the end of the year, at the end of the free agency situation, and you're going into uh, you know get ready for for mini camps. Sure, if those guys are around, but none of the none of the players other than Barton a little bit um, do I feel like are necessarily priorities for Seattle to re-sign on the defensive side of the ball. And that includes Puna Ford, LJ Collier, et cetera, et cetera. There's 11 of them. Yeah, I feel the same for the most part. I do have a little longer list in terms of players to bring back because Tanner Muse, I think you can bring back at a pretty cheap deal and it's good depth with Jordan Brooks coming back from an injury and Jonathan Abram. I saw enough in the games that he played in with Jamal Adams injury history that you could bring him back on a veteran minimum deal. That might be something that you do after the draft, but as far as irreplaceable players, there's not a single guy on this list that would be deemed as that Cody Barton. You'd like to bring him back because of your depth concerns. And obviously Jordan Brooks, I mentioned the injury and Ryan Neal, the luxury signing idea I would agree with. And at the same time, it feels like it's not necessarily that because of all the injuries Jamal Adams has had. And we don't know what Jamal Adams is going to look like coming off of this injury, this quad tendon injury. Some players in multiple sports have had a really difficult time coming back to anywhere close to their previous form from that injury. And so until we see him out there in the field and it just feels like Ryan Neal should be out there with Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. And we haven't gotten to see that because they haven't been able to keep all three of them healthy at the same time. But as a restricted free agent, that's going to be a fairly expensive tender at the same time. He played like an all pro player when he played last year and you don't want to let that guy get away or risk him getting away. So I think the Seahawks are going to try to find a way to make that happen. What you and I were both in agreement about, no major cap casualties from this side of the ball, but Shelby Harris getting that contract extended for a year or two to lower that cap hit that's more than $12 million this year. They have got to find a way to fix that. They want to keep him around. Best way to do that, a contract extension for a player that should have several more good seasons and is a great fit for the scheme that they are running. Let's get to our free agent crushes now, shall we? And I know that you mentioned other free agent linebackers on the market, and this may get our listeners excited thinking about a certain player, but I think you might have another one on the brain to help address the middle of Seattle's defense. 
Well, I, I just love the fact that you mentioned the, the the restructuring or extending Shelby Harris's deal because that would be something that it, if Seattle was going to be able to make the bold move I'm about to suggest, then they would have to do something likely with Shelby Harris's contract or, again, make one of those decisions, perhaps a very tough decision um, at, at the safety position with the money because this is going to be a big dollar type of signing. Um, this is not – you're not going to be able to bring back Cody Barton and do this. But I, I still – I've always – been enamored with the athletic ability, the the range that is Tremaine Edmonds, the inside linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, former first round pick out of Virginia Tech. Uh, I just see a guy who is just special. Um, and, and so I I don't know that he's actually even going to be able to make it to free agency. I mean, that's the thing is right now, you know, all of these players are are technically still on the, their team's rosters and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I just see a guy who is absolutely dynamic talent. I see a lot of really good linebackers, Corbin, that are, are veterans that I think are thumpers, more thumpers than I see in this draft class. And that's that's kind of unusual to me, to be honest with you. I usually like going with the younger linebackers because let's let's face it their position there's going to be attrition there just like we talked about with running backs linebackers break down very quickly in the nfl so you'd love to be able to draft young ones but i don't see guys who are the thumpers that i think that seattle needs to take this defense to the next level if they're going to bring back geno smith if you're going to be going for a a difference maker at that number five overall selection then i think that seattle is potentially in position to really go for it and so again with shelby harris's situation either extend him and lower that cap it or perhaps even consider some type of, of release situation to clear up some money and be aggressive in free agency kind of surprise some people a little bit because again you're a position of real authority real power in this draft uh and, and the Jalen carter news in my opinion just creates that much more interest in your selection. So again, I think Seattle has an awful lot of power. I think they potentially have an awful lot of free agency options as well, uh, because presumably their biggest decision is going to be on the offensive side of the ball at quarterback. Yeah. I decided to let you make the sexy free agent signing. Mine is not going to be viewed that way, but I changed this before the show because of the Jalen Carter news. And I feel like the Seahawks need to bring in somebody to anchor that defensive line that has experience playing in odd fronts, can play nose, is good against the run. We know that's a huge issue for this football team. And why not bring a former Husky back to the Pacific Northwest? So for me, it's Greg Gaines, a player the Seahawks know well from doing some really nice things for the Rams in games against the Seahawks. The picture that on our YouTube viewers, it's him sacking Geno Smith this past season. And don't mistake it. Greg Gaines is not a player that is going to rack up a ton of sacks, but he has been a plus run defender for most of his NFL career. And he has been surprisingly good at getting after the quarterback. He's played in a three, four odd scheme. He's a player that I think can play in either one, particularly in the interior and without Brian Monet being healthy for who knows how long this season, they're going to need another guy to complain in the no spot. I don't think Puna Ford's going to be back. So Gains the player, I think you can maybe get in that five and a half or six million dollar range in free agency, and you can couple him with Shelby Harris, and maybe they make another move or two, releasing a guy there. They're gonna overhaul that line, but I think Gaines is a guy you could do some subtracting from a rival and boost your defensive line. Now, real quick to our draft crushes on defense, first and first round and day two. 
I'm going to stun people with my first round crush. We could talk Will Anderson. We could talk Jalen Carter from a talent perspective. There's some other good defensive players. And the Seahawks have Tariq Woolen at corner. But I'm going to go with a cornerback here. I am a huge Devin Witherspoon fan from Illinois. Every time that I turned on the TV to watch Illinois play this year, I watched him because I wanted to watch Chase Brown, their running back. And I could not stop watching number 31 because even though he's not a big bodied corner, he's kind of a lean player. He is a masher. He comes up and sticks people. He had three interceptions this year, 14 passes defensed for a really solid Illinois defense. He played his best against elite competition too. had a fantastic game against Michigan when they nearly pulled the upset. And this kid, just every game I turned on, I loved and, he would be a player that would maybe buck the trend. Seattle, you want to have a stunning pick, you pick the best player available. Witherspoon across from Tariq Woolen. Uh, good luck with a no-fly zone with big corners for the next decade. Yeah, it would be exciting. It would be obviously counter to what Seattle has done in the past. Um, but still, there's, there's no doubt about that would be a, a cool selection. And as you said, uh, Witherspoon wears number 31. So it was my draft crush, number 31. You kind of you know, jokingly just passed by Will Anderson Jr. I, I just think that he is the most dynamic player in this draft, even even though, and again, assuming that all uh, winds up going away for Jalen Carter, just focusing on the player, I still think that, Jalen Carter as a player in the position that he plays, that he would uh, potentially deserve number one overall consideration over Will Anderson. But if you're talking about a playmaker now, then that's definitely what Anderson is. I mean, this is the guy that can be that edge rusher. He's not quite as twitched up as some of the other guys, but he's just a better football player than most of the top pass rushers you've seen in a long time um, because he plays the run as well. Um, and, and he just the, the physicality, the, the, the consistency that he's shown over three years at Alabama has just been absolutely phenomenal. And so I, I just to me, he is the draft crush. If he was somehow because of all this craziness and all the, the fixation quarterback somehow allow Will Anderson to fall down to Seattle at number five, uh, I think that the CX are going to laugh their way to, to making that selection. Um, and then finally, on the second round, kind of crushes, you know, I. I don't know that Seattle necessarily is going to make pass rushers that much of a priority in the draft. I think it's going to be some of the bigger guys, some of those linebackers we talked about before. But in terms of my draft crushes, one of the guys that really surprised me, there's a lot of guys at LSU who I really liked their physicality. But B.J. Ojolari, the edge rusher, um, you know, to me, he's kind of that, that 6'3", 250-pound edge rusher that, that Seattle has prioritized for years and years and years going back to Bruce Irvin. Um, you know, but he has quickness. He has power. He has arm length. He – he frustrates me a little bit in run support, which, you know, so is Daryl Taylor. And, you know, and so that, that that's the thing, but at the same time, you see the talent. And I, I think that he's, he's wired, right. He, he's one of those guys who takes the game seriously. Um, and for a young player was really mature in that regard. The scouts love him in that regard that the LSU staff loves him. That, that's one of the players that I think has a, a bright NFL future. I'm going to the big and heavies for my second round crush in part because I got to talk to him today and seeing how ripped Keanu Benton is at 315 pounds. That dude does not have much fat on him, but you look at what he did the last couple of years for the Badgers. He went from primarily just being an early down run stuff or early in his college career at the no spot to becoming a viable interior pass rusher. And he showed that off in Mobile at the Senior Bowl as well. He's got an array of moves. He's got a really nice power swim move that he throws out sometimes. He had a spin that he mixed in there. Again, this guy's a really good athlete. 
athlete. I think he's going to test well this week. He's going to fit the Seahawks thresholds. I think that this kid's got a chance to go very early in second round. If he has a great week this week, maybe he sneaks into the first round because he can rush the quarterback, and he's also an elite run stuffer coming from the rugged Big Ten. And so I'm a big fan of Benton. He is climbing up my list at a very solid, deep defensive tackle group. Let's get to those combine thresholds. Perfect segue here. We talked about the offensive thresholds the other day, and I think it's fitting. We're talking about Will Anderson Jr. and what he brings to the table, and it's interesting. A lot of the position groups that we talk about in these thresholds, they have pretty specific height and weight. And then defensive end or outside linebacker in this new scheme is the exact opposite because Seattle has had their big ends that are like your red Bryants of the world. And then they've yeah. also had their players like Cliff Averill and Bruce Irvin that were 250 pounds soaking wet and were more of your speed rushers. Daryl Taylor would check that box off as well. And so I think it's a lot tougher to look at these thresholds because quite frankly, they've had two different positions for most of the Pete Carroll era at defensive end. No, they they really do. But still, I think if you look at the defensive end one, uh, you know, if, if Seattle was to stay at number five and things go the way that we have been thinking that they might go and wind up with Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, uh, it, it still would wind up surpassing the height, uh, you know, the height measure or the, the height threshold that we have seen with the with, uh, in the past with the Seahawks. And I think that they absolutely will be considering Tyree Wilson if he is available to them, especially with the possible uh, you know, news today uh, of Jalen Carter's situation. So um, to me, that that's one of the things is, is I looked at the height and I thought, okay, so that, that three inch differential, I mean, that, that's significant, but it's not as much as the ones you're going to see as you go down. Because as you said, Corbin, you're really talking about two completely different positions. There, there's no way that Seattle is going to be looking for a, 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 a true edge rusher who's got a 40 yard dash in the four nine seven range obviously you know they, they've looked for guys who've been in that you know bruce Irvin famously was in the four fours um you know and and you, you've seen that kind of four five speed from boye moffitt i think it was a four five two four five three um you know and daryl taylor was in the four five certainly um and throughout his time at, at tennessee as well so i mean you're just you're, you're seeing those type of athletes, and if that's something that Seattle is going to prioritize, then there are some of those players. So Will McDonald from Iowa State is a player we haven't talked about much, but he is going to test like that. Ojulari, again, we talked about Felix Anaduke from, uh, from from Kansas State. Um, you know, th there's some good edge rushers in this draft class. I just think that, again, Seattle is going to be focusing more on the big guys. I, I love the the insight that you just provided there with the big man from Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I mean, just the, the physique, I think, is something that Seattle is going to be looking for because they're going to want guys who aren't just big slogs at the point of attack. They're, they're going to want some guys who are powerful enough to two gap and then still be able to, to pursue, you know, get, get rid of those blockers and then run laterally and pursue. And so if you're those 350 pounders, the, the Siaki Aikas and guys like that, that everybody wants to project to see out and perhaps that will be one of their guys. But I just mean that some of these other players, um, I, I think, make a little bit more sense and you can see that there with just the, the height and weight range and we're talking about a much bigger differential here with, with these big guys and i think you're going to see seattle lean towards the bigger men because again they got to get bigger and stronger at the point of attack everybody who watched the seahawks a year ago saw them repeatedly get pushed off the line of scrimmage this is one of those you know old football things keep it simple stupid get bigger get stronger at the line of scrimmage i think that's one of what seattle is going to be looking to do so those big guys uh, I think are going to be the, definitely the ones to be focusing on. I asked John Schneider about this yesterday, about 
a more clear approach this year with the type of personnel that they want to add to their defense. And as he said, going back to his days in Green Bay, when Don Capers came in and they made a massive transition scheme-wise, it can take two or more years to get the players in that you want to have the right personnel to run it. And so they are going to be looking for more of that 310, 315-plus pound defensive tackle. I don't know necessarily they're going to be looking for the 350-pound versions. I think that Siaki Ika is a very good player, and they are going to be missing Brian Monet. So maybe at some point in the draft they would go that route. But a player like Keanu Benton, who is in that 315, 320 range and is also very athletic, can two-gap, can one-gap, those are players that are scheme flexible. And you would think that the Seahawks, with them running kind of a multiple defense, those are the defensive tackles they're going to want to look at. And so some of these athletic metrics are still going to hold serve from past years. But I think you're going to see more emphasis on the higher end of that weight total, maybe not above that 323, but in that 315, 320 range where they're looking for guys that really fit that 3-4 scheme. Now, if there's a position where the Seahawks have completely gone all in on athleticism, it has been off-ball linebackers at the combine. And there's been some discrepancy in size, anywhere from 227 to 267 in the weight category. But aside from one player running a 471, and oh, by the way, that was KJ Wright. So that was a pretty good success story. But otherwise, they have preferred guys running in the four fours and four fives. And I included Bruce Irvin in here because he ran or did a lot of dropping back into coverage early in his career. He was playing as a Sam off ball linebacker for a good chunk of that time, but they love super athletic guys at linebacker three cone. The worst time ever was 7.26. That's a very good time for a linebacker short shuttle 4.46. That is still a respectable time for a linebacker. And even the vertical 32 inches or higher This seems to be a position where those spark metrics really comes into play. They want linebackers that have the athleticism to be able to move all over the field, pursue sideline to sideline, and of course be able to cover running backs, tight ends, even slot receivers, that you have to have guys like that in today's NFL. And they also want guys that can stop the run that are athletes as well. We've seen that with Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks and a lot of the other players that they have drafted this position. Even Shaquem Griffin, when they drafted him, the elite athleticism, those are the kind of players they look for at linebacker. No, they really is. I mean, that's exactly what they've looked at in, in the type of players that it's been fairly predictable um, who they might kind of be looking at um, for a long time. But I don't know if that's going to be the case this year, Corbin, because that's the thing is they might be looking for some of those bigger bodied linebackers. They have a chance to really flush out their linebacking core and kind of get a recharge different type of, uh, of a physical presence. Now, I just don't know that this is the draft class that really offers that many of those kind of linebackers. If Seattle wants to go the route that they have in the past, then there are some really interesting players. Um, you know, the, the way Bobby Wagner, you know, six foot, 245 pounds, basically Jordan Brooks, almost the exact same size, almost the exact same workout results. To me, you look at for guys like that, phys- that physical kind of skill set, Dayon Henley at Washington State, we've talked about him before. Dorian uh, Williams from Tulane is another one who has the has the really long arms, but the athletic cut physique. Uh, Ivan Pace from Cincinnati is another one that we've talked about a little bit as well. I mean, there there's some good linebackers who have some speed and some quickness here. Uh, you know, I I just don't know that there's those thumpers. And, and so again, that's to me is what's going to make this a fascinating decision. I think for Seattle, why there is a possibility that they might decide to just kind of go all in on the uh, on, on the veteran linebackers that are available, rather than worry about the draft so much. 
quoting Rob Ring, I don't know how many times you've said it in this show, picking your own flavor at Baskin Robbins. That's been the Seahawks at corner and safety because they've been picking a wide array of body types over the years. Now, obviously, in part at corner, that's because slot corners are going to be different build than the outside corners. And they, for the most part, have looked for those really tall, long-arm corners. There's been the 32-inch rule. They busted that a few years ago with Trey Brown. It seems like they've transitioned a little bit. They signed DJ Reed in free agency. They are more willing to bring in those corners that are smaller. But still, for the most part, it has been big body players in that position, most of them exceeding six foot tall and being in that 190 to 205 pound range. And there's been a few guys that have ran in the four fives, Richard Sherman being a notable one. They like speed, though. A lot of these guys at four fours or faster, four two six for Tariq Woolen. And again, three cone and short shuttle emphasize. They're looking for guys that have really good change of direction, which makes a ton of sense at the quarterback position. But there has been some flexibility in terms of size and length in part because slot corner, you can get away with having smaller guys and you need that quickness of that position. Whereas on the outside, they still would prefer to have those really tall, long-armed guys that can play press coverage on the outside. Yeah, exactly. There was, there was two things there that made me kind of chuckle. Um, is that, for one, with uh, for those of you who are able to watch on YouTube, you may have seen the, the differential in size, uh, the height specifically, of the cornerbacks that, that Seattle has drafted. I mean, they range from the 6'4", you know, Tariq Woolen, to I'm not sure. I can't remember who was 5'9", maybe Trey, Trey Brown, Brown, maybe. Yeah, and so, uh, again, I mean, 6'4", to 5'9", that's quite the differential there, more than any other position that we talked that's about. That's like Shaq and Muggsy Bogues next to it, each it, other. <laughs> exactly. It really, it really narrows it down, the, the cornerbacks that Seattle uh, has had success with. And that, to me, is, again, one of the things that I just kind of love about this exercise is I, I just think that, you know, I, I have a buddy who's going to be going to a coaching clinic here pretty soon, and he's really excited because the, the, the speaker is truly considered one of the best at knowing a certain position. And um, – the, the, the same thing to me with when it comes to Pete Carroll and, and defensive backs and, and what the, just the masterful way that he has been able to play so many different players at so many different positions, at so many different sizes and speeds, and he just finds ballers. And, and so I, to me, it, it's kind of one of the cool things about that exercise. The other thing is I was, I was certain that you were going to say when we talked about measurables for cornerbacks, the 32-inch arms. I mean, it felt like just about everybody in the world knew that the Seahawks were going to be drafting cornerbacks had 32 inch arms. And if, you know, if, if they didn't have 32 inch arms, well, then just scratch them right off the list, you know, and then I mean, Trey Brown happened. <laughs> exactly. And so I thought, I thought that that was kind of funny how that all worked out as well that, you know, Oh, by the way, Trey Brown played pretty well when he had his opportunity. So that, that's the thing is that I, um, I, I think that you still, when it comes to the outside, sure that they're still going to like their long, um tall corners that have you know they have speed that have ball hawking ability they have to be able to locate the football it's one of the, the absolute necessities and they have to be able to play a run support you don't see see i'll take very many cornerbacks who just olay their way in run support the way a lot of other nfl teams are willing to to kind of try and teach that Seattle kind of feels like they they believe you have to have that in your heart as a corner. Otherwise, you don't have that, um, and they just kind of move on. So to me, those are some of the, the things that I really think that uh, that maybe are even more obvious in how they've evaluated corners than some of the numbers that we just put up there. And I mentioned them specifically just because there is, again, such a, such a huge discrepancy in, in the height. I thought we might want to break it down a little bit better than that. 
Yeah, and there's similar things at safety too. Five foot nine to six foot three. So you have a very wide gap. But again, you have free safeties and you have strong safeties, and they have different roles. Now the Seahawks want more of an interchangeable safety at those two spots now in their current defense. And that's what their goal was last season. But this is really one of those where outliers come into play. You don't see the Seahawks drafting 231-pound safeties very often. In fact, it's happened one time, and that was, of course, the enforcer himself, Cam Chancellor. There aren't very many Cam Chancellors coming through the draft. In fact, I can't remember another one since then that has come through. Maybe Divine Diablo had similar size, but not quite the same football player. There's more of a hodgepodge here, though, in terms of athleticism. 4-6-2-40, they're willing to bring in some slower guys that can really thump people at that strong safety position. Three-cone and short shuttle, they're willing to compromise a little bit. If they are bringing in physical players, they're playing near the box. Those guys don't need to have the elite quickness or elite speed that some of these other players have. It's If they do, that's great. If they're looking for sound tacklers, guys that can move around, that can play multiple positions, that's really a big thing, the interchangeability at safety. And so I think that's another reason that you see a pretty wide array of athletic skill sets and sizes here, not just free versus strong safety, but also because they just are looking at different skill sets, guys that play near the line scrimmage, guys that play back in coverage, more of your single high, two high uh, looks. And so there's going to be variation naturally. And I think you would see that with most NFL teams. Yeah, and I, I thought that it was, uh, if you can put about that number, those numbers back up for a moment, was that 17 reps that all of them have had 17 reps at least? Or is that, am I reading yep. that? Anchor? All wow. of them had at least 17. So they like and, their guys to be able to lift some weights too. Exactly. And so to me, that that's an interesting number. I, I certainly can, can you know, spout off a, a couple of NFL teams that have not prioritized just pure strength. And, uh, you know, that, that's the thing. The, the bench press is, of course, a, a test of power, but it's also a, a test of um, of your uh, you know, just ability to, to keep going. Um, and, and so, and there's not a lot of safeties that have that type of, of strength. And, uh, and so that, that, that is surprising to me. That's an interesting number there. Um, but anyways, it, it definitely speaks to the fact that Seattle wants their guys They're again, they're, those cornerbacks, as I mentioned before, they have to be physical. Well, obviously it's safety. You have to be even more physical. And so I think that this is just um, an interesting number that I had not noticed before that uh, really kind of bears that out, that that is going to be a priority, that you have to be a player who has put your time in the weight room and not just be one of those very quick safeties that, um, you know, that, that excels in coverage, but isn't somebody who's going to lay the wood when they get their opportunity. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rand. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on all major platforms and streaming video form five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be joined by Dallas Cooper, and the two of us will look at the first day of testing at the Combine, the standouts, maybe some players that fell flat from expectations, and we'll be checking out some free agent centers to potentially replace Austin Blythe in the middle of Seattle's offensive line. Hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for tuning in to tonight's episode. Go Hawks.